Hoy, hoy! This is the True North Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Monkey Knife Fight and very proud members of the Fantasy Points Media Group. I'm Tyrell McLaughlin at TNFF Tyrell at True North FFB is where the crew is at at TNFF Pod. We are without the Lord and Sealer tonight, a travesty, I know, but I will be picked up by one of the studs of the industry, a returning guest who we received a ton of positive feedback from our Epi uh, Talking Rookies. And if anybody has been under a rock, it's Mr. Scott Barrett with me tonight, at Scott Barrett, DFB on Twitter. Find out why almost uh, 70,000 people are following him. Formerly at PFF.com, Scott is now a co-owner of FantasyPoints.com, an elite analytics guy, director of Dank Stats, a model of consistency when it comes to models, author of the Best Ball Primer and Double FSWA award nominee in 2020 for best ongoing football series and Scott you and Wes Huber double fantasy points.com glory both nominated for DFS writer of the year so Scott welcome back to the program thanks so much yeah I, I really would wish that you stopped bringing up the FSWA nom- nominees because we didn't win those we didn't win those. I know and, 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 and the same- I did. wow Gotta say, golf. Wow, really, really, folks. No, and, and I just mean like I don't think Evan Silva's ever been nominated. I don't think Rich Rebar's ever won. So I mean, like, come up with something else. You know, what, what can we what can we talk about? My my glorious beard. The models, some of the strength, the schedule work. I mean, uh, I'll probably end up citing a lot of stuff that we could uh, that we could talk about because I really liked your strength, the schedule pieces. Uh, we probably won't get to very much or any of that tonight, but I did want to tell viewers and listeners to go check those articles out because Scott breaks down the easiest and toughest strength of schedules by position. Uh, I think it's worth the price of admission alone for the entire uh, website is the tables you put together for those strength of schedule articles. Uh, just showing all the teams by position, uh, points per game allowed, over expectations for opponents, uh, over opponents' averages, sorry. Uh, and I think, you know, like strength of schedule is just sold as a pretty noisy topic. I'd describe it as a very fluid topic. Uh, and at this pocket of the offseason, I just think you need to use it properly. And then it does go into your arsenal and it is an additional tool uh, at your disposal and a tool that goes a long way when it comes to like big pool multi-entry tournaments like think of the fantasypoints.com best ball championship or the scott fish bowl uh you want to target the best strength of schedule teams for the fantasy football playoffs actually uh i listened to somebody uh abib egbatoba dr abib egbatoba getting interviewed a while back who by the way is the man who's won back-to-back football guys championships took home 500 grand this year for first place uh he attributes a part of his success for those championship teams to attacking those late season strength of schedules uh, by the way, he asked, uh, he was asked, like, they were talking about process and everything, and he name-dropped fantasypoints.com when hey. talking about using the best resources, like, unsolicited, uh, because that, that that interview was on uh, the Fantasy Football Hustle, which is uh, Drew McFarlane and the Drake's Diddy. Uh, but my rambling point here is you need to be using the right information, and that couldn't be more true with something like Strength the Schedule, uh, and it, it just absolutely floors me that even some of the big sites out there still base strength of schedule for the upcoming season on something as simple and unactionable as last season's points allowed and stuff like that. So the way you quantify strength of schedule, the way you measure it, the controls you put in place, I really love it. I enjoyed it at PFF and, uh, it's really just out of this world in it's fantasypoints.com form, uh, especially because you go, you can go in there and like download this, uh, this data or the PDF but yeah, those articles are just money, and uh, they're all capped off with thoughts, notes, of course, uh, dank stance, uh, dank stats, sorry, because you are, of course, the uh, the director of dank stats. But we're not talking strength of schedule tonight. Uh, we actually did an episode right after the schedule came out. We had Jacob Sanderson on, 
Uh, it is in the feed, but what I want to talk about tonight is kind of a bunch of running backs and running quarterbacks. Really, we have a ton of players to go through. Uh, if we have time, maybe I'll get Scott's thoughts on like the Julio Jones trade, some of that fallout. But I really want to talk running backs, quarterbacks, because you have done some awesome work on that front in recent weeks, Scott. And for listeners, I put links to all the articles that I'm talking about that I will talk about in the description because we're really only going to scratch the surface and it is my show after all, Scott. So I'm going to possibly take this wherever I want. I'll, I'll probably take the conversation a couple different ways, probably. Um, in fact, I might do it off the top here really quick before we dive in, because uh, you had an article going through some of your your bad calls from 2020 and exercise. We should all partake in uh, reflecting on what we did well, also where we missed each season. And in that article, you kind of went down a rabbit hole about the sophomore steps that we see a lot of players take and you always see content pop up about third year breakouts and stuff like that. But do you think year two is the season we should bank on for breakout seasons the most for fantasy? Yeah. So uh, if you just look at aging curves among fantasy assets, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Uh, so running back, the biggest leap is year one to year two. Year three is the peak year where year two is second best year three is the peak year, but only like barely above year two. But the, the, so the time to target for fantasy is typically, you know, year two where, where people are more often than not, you know, judging based on year one performances where the, the sophomore breakout that typically does happen, uh, you know, should be expected to happen. So uh, looking at a player's baseline, career average fantasy points per season in year one running backs score about 88% of their typical baseline average. And then in year two, that jumps to 115%. And then, like I said, year three, 119%. But yeah, I mean, this year I am extremely excited about the sophomore running backs. And I mean, who's not like really who, who's not, this was a very special class um, maybe a generationally great class. Uh, and, you know, you could take your pick. Like, who, who are you most excited about? Uh, who, who are your favorites? Who, who do you like the most? I mean, there's just so many to, to, to pick and choose from. Um, obviously, there's Gibson, uh, Cam Akers, my guy, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, just probably already either the third or fourth best pure runner uh, in the NFL. And then like, is he going to catch passes this year? Is he going to be a bell cow? Will he, you know, kick Naheem Hines to the bench? Who, who knows? Clyde Edwards, Elair, you know, I, I talked about him as a miss, but I mean, uh, I, who could see Le'Veon Bell coming mid season? Uh, and, you know, he, the volume was there. The production was there. Deandre Swift, JK Dobbins, who I like, la like last year I said, uh, vault me, hashtag vault me, JK Dobbins will lead the league in yards for carry, which he did, which is s sort of cheating based on the, the Konami code stuff, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, who are your favorites? Like how excited are you? Antonio Gibson freaking played what? 11 games, had 10 rushing touchdowns, uh, was very efficient as a runner. And this is a guy who played wide receiver in college. He had like mm -hmm. 50 career rushes to, you know, 60 career receptions. So like, I, I would like the meme of this isn't even his final form. This isn't even <laughs> his final form. And Scott Turner, mind you, you know, was Christian McCaffrey's uh, former offensive uh, play caller who had him lining up everywhere, mismatch nightmare, ba basically – uh, either getting carries or running slot wide receiver routes. So, uh, and some just, of the comments, like your, I love your series that you do every year about the post draft press conferences, and some of the comments coming out of Washington, even right after they drafted them, was super uh, appealing. Because I, and the other thing is, this kid has prototypical size. He can, he can, you know, grow into any niche, any role that a three down running back needs to. Uh, have in his arsenal, he can really grow into that. And I think in, in quick fashion, he's a Jonathan Taylor clone, just like pull mm -hmm. up the, the height, weight, 43 cone bench press, uh, Combine broad, broad. it's, it's the, they were the exact same player and uh, no one noticed cause he was listed as a wide receiver. 
Yeah, they were Nagy. basically clones. And by the way, Jonathan Taylor, historically great running back. So, uh, historically great combine. Yeah, like these guys were in like the upper one percentile for their size, weight adjusted stuff. It was it was insane. Um, and I think that that's kind of where I wanted to take the conversation because you mentioned these sophomore running backs, and I think you know you're also Mister Bellcower Bust. So I think you're the perfect guy to ask some of these questions because. You know, the death of the high volume running back is kind of a universally known thing. However, I think it might come a little bit full circle because we have this sophomore class and, you know, the extenuating circumstances of last year. Like we didn't have uh, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley missed the whole season. And we didn't, you know, just the influx of all this young talent, even going back to the 2017 draft class. So would you say the days of running backs getting over 300 touches, like a bunch of them is behind us outside of like, you know, three, four, five guys, or do you think we are going to see a bit of a rebound in 2021? Yeah, no, I, I think we're going to see a massive rebound. I talked about this in the article, how this was just like the outlier of outlier years for bell cow running backs. It was like a, a garbage year. Basically, let's say Dalvin Cook was the only bell cow, and there's typically six uh, per season, if you want to define it at like super strictly. Uh, and I mean, that's going to regress to the mean Christian McCaffrey, uh, played only three games. Saquon Barkley played only two, you know, is Ezekiel Elliott a bounce back candidate? I think he is, you know, I, I'm not like tripping over myself to draft him, but, uh, but I, I, I think he's probably, uh, going to be, be back to high end RB one fantasy status. Joe Mixon, is this finally his bell cow season? I think it is. I think it is. We, We've talked about this every single year. I talked about, is he a bell cow? Is he not? He should be, but he probably won't be. And that's, that's how it's been every single year. And like, this looks like, okay, finally the year Giovanni Bernard's gone. I don't know why this took so long because uh, Joe Mixon, one of the most efficient pass catchers uh, in PFF college history by yards per route run. Uh, it was fields, yards created metric. Just I, I mean, it. exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I should be referencing. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you you're you're a better man. soldier than I am. Uh, <laughs> was comp to Matt Forte coming out. Like he was supposed to be a bell count. It just, it was weird that never happened. And uh, that's a transcendent offense. Um, and, and I think all, like people yeah. might be worried about Jamar chase coming in. Like th- we've already seen 70% of the market share heaped on the wide receiver position in back-to-back seasons under Zach Taylor, that can't go up very much more. So those wide receivers are already competing for that 70% of the pie. Uh, and geo can definitely like mixing can definitely take that vacated volume. We might be able to distribute that vacated noisy volume to, uh, Joe Mixon, uh, even though some people might be worried about that. I think he, I think, cause I think the pass catching is what we need for Mixon is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Bernard had almost 50 catches last year. That's, that's just massive. And, and, and like I said, like in weighted opportunity, um, a target for a running back in PPR leagues is worth like 2.68 times as much as a carry. And then outside of the, the red zone, it's worth like three point or 4.3 times it. So really targets are so much more valuable. And that, so that matters in terms of floor, ceiling, medium projection, but it also matters in terms of week to week consistency, uh, being game script dependent, game script independent. Uh, I was actually really disappointed. So I told you before the show, I just did a, uh, like a 10 day long road trip. Uh, I, I went from Houston to Marfa to Roswell, New Mexico to uh, uh, like middle of nowhere, Colorado to Kansas City to Indianapolis, whatever, all the way to New Jersey. And uh, so I filed I filed a bunch of articles before I left and I expected them all to be published. And so I guess we're saving them for next week. But um, I, I, w- I would have really liked uh, to have discussed those articles on this podcast with you specifically, like you're so great at doing your research, but the the articles we talk about week to week consistency in terms of production. Okay. And then we improve upon that by week to week consistency in terms of usage based on XFP. Uh, And then we talk about game script dependence um, and uh, like who, who benefited most when trailing, who benefited most with, with a lead, like, 
Um, if you look at like the Alex Smith-esque quarterbacks, like that Kirk Cousins, Philip Rivers last year, who really were only viable when trailing. So like in DFS, you target them when they're heavy underdogs, let's say, along those lines. And, and the same thing extends to running backs like Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry. I mean, just look at the, the win-loss splits. They're averaging 14 more fantasy points per game in wins than than losses. And that was always true for Joe Mixon. I don't think that's true this year, but that was always historically true for Joe Mixon. There's another article too, but um, yeah. So part of being a bell cow, part of the allure is that you're, you're uh, immune to game script, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley. It doesn't matter if you're, you're trailing because then you're going to get more targets or you're leading, which means you're going to get more red zone drives and more rushing attempts. So that that's, all these are, are huge things. Um, like Nick Chubb, I, I tweeted about this. I'm not going to own any Nick Chubb in redraft. He was also a big miss for me. I'm not going to own any Nick Chubb in redraft, but anytime Cleveland's favored, I'm playing Nick Chubb in, in DFS, so long as the price is right. But um, and, and you're probably encouraged about their win total as opposed to, you know, maybe Najee Harris and that is a decision you have to make and – you know, whose team is going to be better might, might actually make that decision because I am a big believer, you know, you always try and analyze who does well in your fantasy leagues growing up. I used to always do that. Like what did that team who won do well? And you notice it's just, sometimes it isn't that hard, just target really good teams. You know what I mean? And yeah. Uh, yeah so sometimes I think those decisions can be made by, you know, Cleveland having a two win total difference over uh, Pittsburgh. If you're deciding between Nick Chubb and, uh, and Najee Harris, and maybe you don't care about pass, pass catching as much. But uh, yeah, I think I think those are really good points because so much goes into being a bell cow. But what I was trying to get at is that I think we should be encouraged that maybe we do have five to ten of them again this year rather than, you know, under five of them like we had last year. Yeah, I, I think Najee Harris is, is one of them. But I, I just wanted to praise you again. Like, this is why I love you, Ty. So what you just brought up is the fourth article in that series. It's, it's, it's looking at... Uh, Vegas projected win totals and the improvements from their, the actual uh, win totals in the 2020 season. And like you said, Pittsburgh, they, they uh, uh, won 75% of their games last year. Vegas is projecting them to win only 50% of their games. So that is really bad for Najee Harris, unless you expect him to be a bell cow. You expect him to be targeted maybe not Levy on Bell in his prime, but like maybe 80% of Levy on Bell. And with that offensive line, he needs that. That's really important. Like he has to be catching like serious, heavy target volume. Um, and I think, I think he will. I, I hope he will. I mean, like coming out, everyone's like, he's Steven Jackson. Like he, it's so rare to see a big guy move this way, catch, catch the ball. Like he catches the ball. Uh, I'm a big Najee Harris guy. So I was in the MFL 10 of death. Do you follow that? I do every year. I think that's okay. a great resource for people to look at instead of doing a mock draft, just pull up the MFL of death. And I was talking to Aaron H about it. Who's like the, the legendary best ball guru goat. And like his big thing was like Najee Harris went around later than he should have. So this, this is a joke of an expert league. And I, I just, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, but like, yeah, man, I mean, Team, team Najee, but but there there is a lot that has to go right. Like he has to be a bell cow, uh, and you know even if you're a bell cow, like it's I don't think that's good that that Vegas thinks Pittsburgh's a 500, 500 mm -hmm. team. But, but then again, I, I mean that's why I thought it was interesting that he actually popped up in your strength of schedule article in the running back position. Uh, Najee Harris did because I yeah it is going to be. Like it might be boom or bust when you look at it, when you, when you play out that schedule, it's interesting. But I think the Le'Veon Bell conversation, like, you know, people compared him to Matt Forte. I really do think Najee Harris reminds me a lot of second year ready to go Le'Veon Bell. Like I know he's not as quick on his feet, but he also makes up for that by being a better receiver than Le'Veon Bell, which is scary to say out loud. Uh, and if, you know, we're talking about bell cow running backs, like the Steelers, we're talking about the death of the voluminous running back. The Steelers never got that memo. They never have. And they've just been lacking the running back a little bit. Uh, like if you go back since 2015, Lev Bell's 406 touch 2017 campaign is the most touches. And that was in 15 games. Like he'd show up every season if I was doing that on a, uh, on a per game basis. So yeah, I really like Najee. And I think, uh, 
you know, Joe, you talked about the MFL of death. Joe Dolan was in another one, like a best ball, uh, pro-am thingy. And, uh, it was actually on the fantasy hustle. They were going over it. Drew, Drew, uh, Drew McFarland and them. And, uh, he took Najee in the second round. And I think, you know, some people were like, whoa, that's pretty high. And I was like, no, that's exactly where you're going to have to take him come redraft season. Yeah. I, so, I will just say one, one more thing on Pittsburgh though. What's interesting is like, I mean, it really does come down to the, the pass volume. The last time uh, Pittsburgh uh, finished with single digit wins or uh Ben Roethlisberger led the league in pass attempts, pass yards. Um, so, I mean, if Vegas is right that they're a 500 ball club, I mean, maybe we should just, even if like there's a massive reduction in efficiency, Roethlisberger's old, he's cooked, whatever. Maybe we should just go out of our way to target the wide receivers, which at the end of this article, by the way, I talk about my, my love for Deontay Johnson, but yeah. Well, I, th- I think that is just, sorry, I can't not, expand on the Steelers just because I, I think that's the big thing we'll see in Pittsburgh with the offensive line not unlike we have uh in the last couple of years especially last year is Ben getting rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds absolutely every time uh and that's like kind of what's causing the a dot and I don't know if Ben's going to be able to uh do a lot of play action which he just has done none of in his career with Matt Canada coming in we really need to monitor training camps for that kind of stuff it's going to be a uh, kind of a headache following the Steelers and deciding where we're going to go and how invested we want to be in that team for fantasy football, I think, come redraft season. Um, you know, I'm talking about the a lot of this volume stuff here, but I wouldn't mind because you brought up Nick Chubb, and I think he's an interesting one because, you know, Derrick Henry is kind of the king. We know that. And so I want to bring up the idea of outliers. I think it's kind of an easy pivot from talking volume with running backs because volume is king, there's no doubt, but you mentioned the uh, the study after study that shows the importance of pass catching compared to rushing. Uh, so the type of it volume is also important. We want high leverage work, which can mean goal line carries, RPO carries, but more often than not, we are talking pass catching for our running backs. Uh, and yeah, like I said, folks like Graham Barfield, yourself, have really done awesome studies to put the numbers to that. I suggest people go check that out. Top 12 running backs we know have averaged almost 50 catches a season, and that's 55 catches per season in the last half decade compared to 45 catches per season among top 12 running backs from the previous five years. But I wanted to steer this into just pure outlier territory because we have to establish a threshold. So if I look in the last decade, only eight times has a running back scored in the top 12 in a season that they had under 25 catches or 25 catches or less. So that's under one per season. And the only running back to have multiple top 12 seasons in fantasy without 25 catches is Derrick Henry. And you wrote recently, uh, who is the best pure runner in football? It's either Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry. And whoever ranks third or fourth is a sizable dif- uh, distance behind. And that sentiment, that, that statement really, it, it resonated with me, not just because I firmly agree with it, like elusiveness, big plays, all that, but... My point here is Derrick Henry has been identified and embraced as an outlier. And now Nick Chubb is justifiably, uh, I mean, by expert consensus ranking, uh, it's suggested that he will need to be an outlier as well. So with that said, do you think it's good process to even try and identify any more outliers? Because I think it's kind of brazen. uh, And do you have any names you want to throw out there of guys who might be scoring in that top 12 range, but doing so without a lot of pass catching. Yeah. So this is sort of like a long debate. Like I come from the Mike Clay, JJ, Zacharyson school of thought. Like those were my two former bosses at PFF at number fire when I, when I got my start and they are very, you know, anti outlier, very regression to the mean, and playing DFS as much as I have has, has really made me embrace the outlier, really made me embrace the outlier. And that's because like, okay, how many DFS pros who are like projection slaves in Odell Beckham Jr.'s rookie year, he's going to regress to the mean, he's going to regress to the mean. Or Alvin Kamara, he's going to regress to the mean. Tyreek Hill, he's going to regress to the mean. None of those guys regress to the, the mean. Rob Gronkowski in his prime, like based on XFP differential, did what like no one has ever done. And then he did it eight seasons in a row. Alvin Kamara is doing the same thing. Tyreek Hill is doing the same thing. AJ Brown the past two years, 
doing the exact same three, same thing. So it's, it's just very difficult to do to find outliers. Uh, but I think by now we know uh, Alvin Kamara, massive efficiency outlier, Tyreek Hill, massive efficiency outlier, uh, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, I think too. And I, I really do think though, like I explained in the article, like everything went right for him, including Wyatt Teller becoming a God yeah. game script, becoming perfect. Um, even though Vegas like massively disagreed um, and, and, and a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, who is the other outlier? That's easy. That's, I think it's Jonathan Taylor. Like I, I tweeted out, Ding. I tweeted out uh, I week one or preseason. I said like, who is the, who are the best pure runners in football? Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor. I don't remember who the rest I said, but uh, I still think that's true. Like really still think that's true. And and like his ADP right now, I'm not drafting it. I'm just not. I, I just think there are better plays, but I mean, if he's a bell cow, what are the odds he is putting up Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley type numbers? I, I think they're really good. I think they're really good. I, but what do I think happens? I think, I don't think Naheem Hines goes quietly into that good night. I think even Marlon Mack, like there's a, there's like a 20% chance Marlon Mack gets seven carries. I mean, Jordan Wilkins or whoever was, was getting serious play at times last year, even during Jonathan Taylor's hot streak, but just on the tail talent on the offensive line, on the coaching staff. I don't know. I it just, but yeah, outlier talent wise for sure. But Scott, he had too easy of a strength of schedule last year. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, I brought that up in the article and it was the same thing for David Montgomery. Um, I think it played a role, but I think, I think more than, more than anything, it's just, this guy is an amazing talent. Greg Cassell said, I don't know why he's not being viewed as Zeke Elliott and Mm -hmm. people aren't considering taking him in the top 15 picks. I completely agreed. My model completely agreed. And I still feel that way, especially based on, so, so maybe there's some, some, uh, you know, confirming your priors sort of thing that I have a bias towards, towards Jonathan, but I, I just, I still think that's true. Um, and he, and he does kind of have that confluence of events that you might be able to predict, whether it's the offensive line, the 10 win total for the Colts, the easier division, like he shows up in your strength of schedule article this year, uh, as having one of the easier strength of schedules. And it's not hard to imagine when you play the Jaguars and the, and the, uh, and the Texans four times a season. So uh, I think for for if if no other time he's going to give you some massive explosive weeks, uh, and and I really like Jonathan Taylor for the, for for this season, and I just agree that it's tough to stomach him a little bit in the top half of the first round, um, but yeah, I just it's more that I want to take Travis Kelsey over him or something like that because I'm I'm a little bit of a wild man, but uh, I think Jonathan Taylor, guys like Ezekiel Elliott, those guys are the guys who are really going to. Uh, probably get into that next tier uh, after this season, like universally accepted uh, that that Jonathan Taylor is like an RB1 possible outlier. And I think Ezekiel Elliott might get back to that status just because of the situation he's in, uh, as opposed to, you know, him being, you know, looking down the barrel 30 any day now in, in, in running back years. <laughs> do you, uh, like, what, what do you think about Zeke? Are you, are you into him for 2021? I see. I don't know. I, I'm just kind of like, I'm open to the idea of him, of Dak coming back and him just immediately going back to the, the Zeke of old. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I could also see, Hey, Tony Pollard's really good. Zeke wasn't very efficient last year. And mm-hmm. so this is the new reality where instead of getting, you know, an 85% snap share, he's stuck at a 70% snap share, which is good. And like, he, I mean, he's due for a massive regression regardless uh, but, but he also I mean, needs to have that regression. I agree with you. He needs to have that regression in terms of yards after contact and, you know, things like that as well. Yeah. Like, like yeah. it did show up in the numbers a little bit. Yeah. I mean, definitely last year, but, but you can, I mean, how, what, what was Dallas even playing for really? You can make some excuses for him. Uh, and, and before that he, he was always, you know, typically pretty consistent. I know the PF, PFF guys always, you know, rag on Zeke, but, 
uh, for the most part, always always popped in the efficiency metrics that mattered most to me. Although, so although Pollard, Pollard like really smashed them mm. ever since he's joined the league. But yeah. Yeah. Talk about picks I waste every year, year after year. Tony Pollard comes to mind. Um, and, and I just what, can't stop drafting him. And withstanding volume is a skill like that. That's, that's totally a skill like that. Mm-hmm. That's important. Uh, and NFL coaches, the, there's just some guys they say, no, like, even if he's built like whatever, they're like, no, he's just a 150 touch max running back. And, you know, Z can fully withstand a robust workload. So. I mean, that's totally. And I'm, I'm super severe. Like I always point out the outliers when it comes to guys who don't catch a certain amount of passes, but it's true for guys who don't get 200 carries. It's very comparable when it comes to guys who aren't going to finish as top 12 running backs. If you don't get 200 carries, I mean, who is that? It's, it's Kamara and who else? It's like Tariq Cohen, 2018, James White, 2018, basically all the guys, 2018. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so I, so I feel like that's, that's an outlier I would never bet on. I would never no, because bet on. Not yeah. only are you betting on 80 plus catches, which is crazy, but you're also betting on five plus receiving touchdowns. I've done the the math on this stuff. It's crazy. Uh, all these guys, like I'm talking even, I was going to bring up and try and marry these two ideas of efficiency and volume and how we might strike the balance or maybe where your gut comes down on these guys. Because you think of a guy like Antonio Gibson, who I think could be either or. He could be a bell cow in the future, but he could also, in the in the time being, be somebody who might be able to score 300 fantasy points without getting 300 touches. Uh, and you think of somebody like Austin Eckler would come to mind, who is definitely an outlier right. in, in, in his own sense. Uh, so if you're in the second round and you're looking down the barrel of like Ezekiel Elliott who drops and uh, and an Austin Eckler, are you still just grabbing Ezekiel Elliott just because the the volume you know is going to be there? Zeke over Eckler. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think those are tough ones. Like Eckler somebody I have a really tough time with cause I want shares of them, but it's, right. it's hard, to, hard to get your hands on them sometimes. I, I mean, j- just like if we want to go as simplistically as possible, it's just, you know, the less competition you have, the better. And, and that, that leads. So like Nick Chubb being drafted ahead of Kim Akers, doesn't make any sense to me. Like Kareem Hunt's going to get at least 40% of the snaps. Cam Akers, I think is, could be, you know, Tali, Todd Gurley-esque usage, maybe just not as much target volume. Aaron Jones is someone that gets a little trickier. Like how much work does AJ Dillon really get? Uh, Throwing the Aaron Rodgers situation, that's trickier than Eckler, Harris, uh, Mixon. I mean, like, I think Mixon's going way too low, but this is an interesting year. This is a fun year. Uh, I, I just, I still see a lot of running back value. So it's very rare. I'm not going running back, running back to start, uh, except for best ball leagues where, where I'll do that. If I, if I have like the number 10, 11 or 12 pick. Totally. And uh, just to cap that off, like why we're not necessarily targeting these outliers, why you're hearing so much talk about the running back dead zone in the industry right now is because it does exist. And, uh, just a quick description, like you should be drafting wide receivers in your draft picks 30 to 75 range, just because the hit rates are so amazing. And a lot of the breakouts you're really getting from this pocket of the draft. Meanwhile, running backs usually have very low hit rates and it's because we're trying to make uh, so many leaps with these players. And a lot of the times it is just as simple as them not having the pass catching. Uh, and that's why you see a, a, a back as talented as JK Dobbins uh, who might have, you know, 1200, 50 rushing yards easily next year uh, being drafted in the third round right now. So uh, before we get into quarterbacks here, I just want to pause really quick and tell you guys about our promo code 21 true North 10 and about fantasypoints.com. So, you know, I've mentioned some of Scott's work and those resources he offers. I just think is uh, the bang for your buck right there because fantasypoints.com isn't charging like hundreds of dollars, like some fantasy sites. And it's even cheaper when you're using our promo code 21 true North 10. And even more important to me than the money is that they aren't bleeding talent. Instead of losing elite analysts, like we lose receipts, fantasypoints.com is built and owned by a collection of elite analysts who all serve incredible niches inside of fantasy and football the talent that could be considered top of the field is in the double digits at fantasypoints.com. So the information you're getting, no matter the player, the topic, you're getting that information from exactly who you should be getting it from uh, if you seek the best. 
analytical breakdowns or statistical models. My man, Scott Barrett, Graham Barfield need NFL insider knowledge. Adam Kaplan is there. Want the goat. John Hansen will do anything. My God, is he good? Uh, want to know anything about any player who ever walked the face of the planet? Greg Cosell, the legend. Want the rankings for your draft from one of the most accurate rankers year after year? Evan Silva's fantasy feast replacement. Joe Dolan, got you. Are you a betting degenerate? Tom Brawley's got you. High stakes machine. Jules McLean is on it. Having a heart attack on a plane? Dr. Edwin Porras will be there to tell you what he thinks about Calvin Ridley going under the knife this week. So join the people uh, giving you the information, and I know you'll stay for the tools, the tables, the award-nominated DFS content, IDP, and everything else. Sign up with our promo code 21TrueNorth10 at FantasyPoints.com. The link is in the description down below. So, Scott, what I want to talk to you about next is how we're going to approach the quarterback position because when we had you on last time, uh, I was just so giddy about your rookie models, and it was pre-NFL draft. So we basically just picked your brain about that, but we have talked to almost every other guest this offseason about the bottleneck we've experienced at the quarterback position. It just overflowed last season. Um, so, you know, you've also done spectacular work revisiting the Konami code. It was kind of getting annoying having to cite the GOAT Rich Rebar's 2013 piece, you know, eight years later. So it was really awesome to put... Uh, some really great numbers, uh, you know, on on an idea that we really do attribute to uh, Rich Rebar, who is just killing it over at Sharp Football right now. Um, so I, I don't know when we talk about it, you you start to you sort of get into how important rushing is, which we all know. You actually use tons of great examples. The best one is easily just Tim Tebow uh, and how valuable he was for fantasy. It was super insulting as a Steelers fan, but but point landed there for sure. Um, but then you get into dual threat quarterbacks and kind of this new era we've embarked upon where it's not uh, not just Randall Cunningham out there doing these things. So should we be targeting these dual threat quarterbacks? And by that, I pretty much mean, are you attacking these quarterbacks in the fifth, sixth round of your one quarterback leagues? Yeah. So so first of all, I, I just want to say that that was an amazing like ad spiel you did for us. Whenever I'm on a podcast and people are like, oh, tell us, tell us where you're from and where we could find your work and why people should su subscribe. And I'm just like, I, I don't know, like just fantasy points.com read my stuff, whatever. That was amazing. I'd like, I just want to play that like a clip of that every single time. That was Take well done. Script. It's easy. You're, and I'm the same way. Like it's hard to, yeah, it's, you want to be humble. So I you're, understand you're quite, you're, you're quite the salesman. Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of view, I, I was a, a, a long, like I said, a, a JJ Zacharyson disciple. So a long time uh, ardent follower of the late round QB strategy. And uh, last year that, that didn't work great for me. Uh, I mean, my most drafted quarterback was Tom Brady, which is fine. I liked Ryan Tannehill, who was free. I liked Joe Burrow, who was free. Uh, some misses in there for sure. Uh, but I mean, like nowhere near as good or as the Konami code quarterbacks the year before that all in on Lamar Jackson, that, that did great. Uh, the year before that heavy exposure to Patrick Mahomes, that did great. Uh, so, so this year, do we go uh, late round QB again? First of all, like, Konami code quarterbacks, like you need to view them as bell cow quarterbacks where you need to place a priority on them. Uh, at the end of the day, am I going that route? No, I'm okay with it. I, I like it. I, I, I'm on board with it. But uh, ultimately, no, just because I still see so much value late. And maybe I'm totally off on this. And, and like, you just grab Kyler who like I make a really strong, compelling case for, or any of the other or Lamar Jackson, any of the, the other Konami code quarterbacks I love. Uh, and you, you get that consistency, you get that insane upside. Maybe they break Lamar Jackson's record for most fantasy points by a quarterback ever. Wouldn't totally surprise me, but ultimately no, because I love me some Jalen hurts. I like, pairing Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill for extremely mm -hmm. cheap. I like Trey Lance a lot. 
I, and you could you you could do Trey Lance or Justin Fields, but I, I don't know for some reason I, I just feel like I'm just I'm just Team Lance. I don't know. Where, where I could give you, you like five, I could give you like five reasons because I'm there too. And uh, number one, we should you know just throw out there because you did in your article how incredibly fast Justin Fields is. We talked about Antonio Gibson being robbed by the circumstances of the combine. Justin Fields was robbed by the circumstances of having no combine because. Uh, there would have been a lot more buzz about how fucking fast that guy ran uh, because it's comparable to some of the fastest quarterbacks we've ever seen. So Justin Fields could do it with his legs alone. I think uh, the problem is I could argue against his situation in a lot of different ways. Um, I could argue for Trey Lance's situation in almost every single way, starting with, if you're worried about him not playing number one, top 10 picks always do, especially in the last decade, it's almost uh, invariable. And then if you're worried about how long it takes him to play, I'd say week six, week seven, they have the earliest bye week in all of football. And they also have the easiest strength of schedule in all of football. So I don't see any reason to not just start Trey Lance right away because he adds such a, you know, he adds two massive elements to this offense, obviously the RPO and the legs and the extended plays and everything. But he also adds a vertical element to this passing game that has just been completely absent, uh, especially last year. So I just, you know, there's so much built in, efficiency in that offense i really think trey lance uh ha- he'll have a hard time failing and and i think that's true as early as they want to start the small sample small school quarterback so i love lance yeah i mean i, I made the same case for him i in my post-draft presser review series like i i really believe Nagy uh when he says they want to do the kansas city method and when he was there, so Alex Smith starts year one, and then Mahomes comes in year two. Same thing with Fields and Dak. Like so, like I mean, I think I think Dalton. So I think Dalton like is so legitimately sub mediocre to mediocre that there's no way that happens. And they're going to be on the hot seat by week five, so they have to see what they have in this guy. But I also just think he's a donkey. Like I, it's the assumption of rational coaching. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I think he's going to be as dumb or as irrational at, for as long as he can be. Trey Lance, like you said, for one thing, I'm, I'm a massive Kyle Shanahan truther. Just Shanny, big fan, love him. Second, the weapons he has, all mm-hmm. yak monsters, like elite, elite yak form. monsters. And he was the most productive Konami code quarterback in college by, by a significant margin. I also just think he's really talented as a passer as well. So, uh, and, and from the, the post-draft press uh, review series, it was clear Shanahan's rooting for him to start week one. He's like, Oh, if he could start week one, that'd be awesome. But I mean, we'll see, we'll, we'll see. Totally. But if he starts week one, that'd be, and, and so far, like all the, all the reports at a camp have been awesome. And it does mm-hmm. remind me of Mahomes. Okay, what did you say? He just said that he thinks that Lance would be very much good enough to make them a competitive team. Yeah, it was yeah. a it was a you know a diplomatic way of saying I'm fucking fine with this guy starting. Yeah, I, so I remember uh, right after the Chiefs traded Alex Smith, the GM said uh, he does things in practice like I didn't think were humanly possible, and then someone else came out and said. No, no, no. This guy is a stud. And then there was a PFT report on either an assistant coach or an assistant GM, something like that, said bet on him to win uh, uh, MV, the MVP. And it's like, wow, okay. So all this coming out, and like I listened to it. I adjusted my rankings. I didn't go all in. Should have went on it. But like, hey, that, that stuff matters. People think it's all coach speak. It's all – I, I don't believe that. I think there's there's definitely a grain of truth to that. Speaking yeah, of which, Elijah okay. Moore, who we hyped up on our last pod, is apparently massacring uh, at Jets camp. But I, I do want to remind people that the Jets have the worst secondary in football bar none, but still very, very encouraging. That is a really good point that I did not think of. I just got excited for Elijah Moore. Not excited because I I want him at a reasonable cost, but uh, 
that is funny how bad the Jets secondary is. I did not consider that. That's a good point. What uh, what are you doing with Zach Wilson? Like he seems like the forgotten man, but he is for sure going to start the season. Um, how does he fall into that category of Konami code quarterback for you? And if not, do you think he he's pretty much in a void uh, when it comes to startability for your fantasy? Team? Uh, me and me and Danny Kelly actually talked about this recently, where we think like if he's a Konami code quarterback, really it's on like the Mahomes spectrum so like not not a konami code quarterback but he'll get you like 2.5 maybe he'll he'll average 2.5 rushing fantasy points per game something like that uh really good mobility really good quickness really small stature really small frame uh so i'm skeptical about it especially early on especially in year one i like the talent i like the arm i like the i like the 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 player a lot um in uh in Dynasty, don't don't have a ton. I really tried to go out of my way to grab the Konami code quarterbacks or you know Mac Jones for cheap, knowing he would go somewhere where very good odds of starting. In redraft, not drafting him. In best ball, haven't picked up a single share. But I mean, <laughs> hey, he's gonna start all 17 games. And you know, he is really talented. He went second overall. Plenty of people had him. Uh, right there with with Trevor Lawrence, but uh, yeah, I mean Lance is my guy. So if if I'm drafting a rookie, yeah. What about Russell Wilson? Do you think Russell Wilson belongs in that Konami Code category? Because he's actually had more rushing yards than people give him credit for. He just hasn't had the touchdowns. Yeah, so he he's tricky. Uh, if you look at his rushing fantasy points per game, like there was. Uh, one crazy season where he had 7.6, but he's only eclipsed 4.5 two other times last year, 4.0, which was, which was fine. Uh, So what I said in the article was the the big thing with him was does Pete Carroll let him cook, you know, through the first eight weeks of the season, Russell Wilson, I said this played better than any quarterback I ever remember seeing in my entire life. Like that eight week stretch was I thought insane. he was going to throw 60 touchdowns last year. It, it was insane. And it was the second most fantasy points by any quarterback for the first eight weeks ever. And then he fell off the map. Part of that was uh, Seattle went from the most pass-heavy team over expectation to just about average. Uh, but part of it also was he just sucked. Like, like by every meaningful metric, adjusted yards per attempt, yards per attempt, pass rating, PFF grade, whatever you want to look at. What's that? Verse cover three, his splits were really ugly. Like, yeah, the second half, it really caught up to him. And it's trippy because it happened the year before as well. Like, we forget two years ago, Russ was also on an MVP pace halfway through the season and then just fell off a cliff. It's it's pretty incredible. But it's tough because you know if, if, yeah, P. Carroll lets him cook, the sky is the limit. Like, his fantasy ceiling is really that 350, 400 points range that we only dream about it's crazy with Russ and you know I love throwing the stat out so I'll just throw it out again but it's 11 straight years now that Seattle has thrown 575 times or less which is the identical tenure of Pete Carroll of course and no no other team's even close to that active streak it's not even close well so I I rattled off the the quarterbacks I'm targeting uh the one I, who is not a Konami code quarterback, who I am targeting all the way at the end of the four, I guess I mentioned, uh, Matthew Stafford. And I'm reminded of when Greg Cassell said right in the middle of Russell Wilson's, you know, hot streak. So like maybe week five or week six, he said he thought Matthew Stafford was a better NFL quarterback than Russell Wilson, which really shocked me. And then, I mean, he, he massive upgrade in rece- receiving core, massive upgrade in play caller. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, man, what, what, what could we be seeing here? Could we see something special? Like, I want to play some MVP bets on Matthew Stafford. Yeah. Um, it, maybe this is all he needed. He just needed a sharp play caller and, and some better receivers. Uh, I mean, we'll see. But uh, so, so that would be the one non-Konami code quarterback I'm really targeting. So do you want Stafford over Tom Brady this year, who was so good to you last year? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not drafting Tom Brady at, at whatever his ADP is. Like, you, you get, a, you got him last year when, yeah. when and I think they on. are going in a pretty similar range, or they will be when, uh, when you're doing your fantasy draft. What about Aaron Rodgers in that range? <laughs> no matter where he plays, I think it's like a question. So, I mean, that, that's that's a good question. Is what do you do with Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson? When are you drafting those two? Uh, yeah, absolutely. At a certain point, the, the risk is worth the re- reward. And especially if you're going late round QB, I kind of just took them off the, the board for this article, but yeah, if you're going late round QB a- absolutely. Typically I want to be the 11th or 12th, no, no, like the 12th person to draft a quarterback, but really taking the 13th quarterback off the bar- board because so, like in a football guys players championship draft, you see eleven, uh, you see one, two, three, four, five, and then you see a lull, whatever, and then eleven, twelve, and then there's a massive like four round lull because no one wants to draft their backup, right? And then someone drafts a backup, and it's like, all right, now it's time to time to shine, time to get in there. You can get Rogers. I mean, do you think he's going to play? I think he's going to play. I don't know that yeah. it's going to be Green Bay, but I, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play, but I do worry that if you want shares, I'll put it this way, grab him now. Because once he announces that he's playing, whether it's Denver, Green Bay, wherever he's going to shoot back up. And I've never seen somebody who is so in line to experience massive regression than Aaron Rodgers heading into 2021 with all due respect to his touchdown total and everything. Um, But I also worry about his age and, uh, like uh, Aaron Rodgers did what he did last year, which is just incredible, but really it's something we've only seen Peyton Manning do in the history of the NFL, which is ironic thinking about Peyton maybe ending up in Denver uh, for his age 37 or 38 season or whatever. But uh, I think if you want shares of Aaron Rodgers, you better go get them now in that eighth, ninth round in one quarterback leagues. Uh, so I, I will say I'm, I'm friends with one of the best NFL pro betters, in the world, I mean, Tom Brawley, but also another one uh, who bet Lamar Jackson to win MVP, winning almost a million dollars, to bet uh, Tom Brady to go to the Bucks, the Bucks to win the division, go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, winning over $2 million, uh, made many, many amazing bets throughout his career. Uh, he said that... Uh, He's, so he said that one, he's, he's heavy on Carson Wentz, making a massive, uh, uh, all the Carson Wentz overs, comeback player of the year, all that stuff. Jameis Winston too. He's hammering Jameis Winston, even though like I'm rooting for Taysom and I, I like me some Taysom. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. It's like 60, 40 in, in Winston's favor. But anyway, uh, he, I was talking to him about the Rogers thing. And so he's amazing in the sense that like, he is naturally so contrarian and he just doesn't care what other people think. And like, he was telling me about the Tom Brady thing super early on. Like I I had a lot of Tom Brady last year, but like, I didn't, I didn't think he was going to Tampa Bay. I didn't think Tampa Bay was winning the Super Bowl, And so like, I should have listened, but like everyone else thought, Oh, Tom Brady's cooked. So I was talking to him about the Rogers thing. And he said that he doesn't know why green Bay hasn't traded him already. It's like, Oh, like I think you should trade him in a heartbeat because I mean you already drafted his replacement. He's a he's a locker locker room. He's locker room poison. He doesn't get along with the coaches. He doesn't get along with the players. The players don't like him. He's a me first diva. Uh, he's old. He's super old. Like you you ex- he two years left in his deal. One year left in his deal. Like you were expecting him to walk and to get nothing and to start start Jordan Love. So like why not trade him and get some first like that? That makes all the, like, I I think they're stupid for not trading him already, which to me was shocking because everything else I'm hearing is, you know, green Bay's in this window. They need to make this trade. I know they need to to do whatever Rogers wants. They need to sign him to a big contract, pay him whatever reigning MVP. So, and, and when he said that it really opened my eyes. I was like, Hey, maybe, maybe he's right. And, and, and he thinks Denver's a realistic possibility because Vegas thinks it's a realistic possibility. Exactly. And I mean, you look at, you look at the odds changes. I mean, green Bay was eight to one and now they're, you know, 20 to one Denver was 60 to one and now they're 20 to one. Like 
that that doesn't happen by accident. So so we'll see. No, I think he's somebody to really follow for sure. And for fantasy, I just think the interesting thing is for when he does shoot up and announces playing uh, where he's going to play or whatever happens, um, you know, he had an unbelievable season last year and guys still scored more fantasy points than him. So uh, rushing (laughs) is just so important. It's crazy how important rushing is for these quarterbacks. It's a a literal cheat code. It's what Mm -hmm. it is. No, that's that. That's why the rich rebar, uh, you know, how he penned it as the Konami code is just so perfect uh, because it really is just the Konami code. <laughs> I mean, just think about it simplistically. Like uh, rushing yards are worth 2.5 times as much as passing yards. Rushing touchdowns are worth 1.5 times as much as passing touchdowns. Clearly there's going to be, uh, you know, a bias in favor of mobile dual threat quarterbacks. And and that's a good note is, you know, know your league settings, even down to the granular level. Is it a six point per touchdown passing league? Is it a four point touchdown passing? Oh, league? if it's if it's zero point five points per, per carry, like or first game, down, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. So these these settings really make a big difference and they almost always uh make rushing quarterbacks even more valuable. It's crazy. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is we're coming off the highest scoring season of all time. Uh, where the quarterback set pretty much every record imaginable. Does that give you any pause for for guys like maybe Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr, whose efficiency last year was just uh, you know possibly a reflection of the year we were in? Yeah, I mean those are great best ball guys. Those are great DFS guys, but those aren't guys I maybe even streaming depending on your league settings. But those aren't those aren't guys I want to draft. Not not at all. But um. Yeah. The, so in the forthcoming article on game script dependence, those were two Alex Smith as quarterbacks where the teams went crazy run heavy with a lead or the score was close or the score was tied. And then they're trailing by three or more points and okay, fine. We'll let you throw the ball. So you, you want exposure to those guys. Okay. Look for a game a week. They're underpriced in DFS and they're dogs by six or more points. That, that's what's and they're home at home probably. Yeah, and that's where win totals come back into play because you see in Vegas that they're predicting Minnesota to be uh, one of those rebound teams in 2021, uh, and Oakland is predicted to be the worst team in their division, and I think they will be. <laughs> so. You know what, Scott? That is all I got for you. To, I really can't thank you enough. I know you're on this road trip, so I really appreciate you carving out some time for me. Uh, what are you working on? Like, is there any uh, teasers you can maybe offer for what these articles are that are being held by Mr. Ben there? <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, I think it's Dolan, but it's oh, uh, it? yeah, uh, week to week consistency versus week to week volatility by production. That's one article. Another by usage. AK XFP is another article game script dependence based on uh, splits, fantasy production splits, whether trailing or leading versus the rest of the team. Uh, and then the, the other one is, is looking at Vegas implied totals versus their actual totals. Um, and just trying to, trying to come up with some, some thinking beyond that. But the big thing with game script dependence is why, again, favoring bell cow running backs is so important in a start sit league in a best ball league, what, whatever. Like I really don't give a shit. I'll draft scat backs. I'll draft like the Tariq Cohen's of the world, JK Dobbins. Fuck. Yeah. But in redraft start sit league, you're never going to get like last year. You never got Naheem Hines, right? You never got JD McKissick, right? Uh, so, it, so definitely prioritize those bell cows and in a D, and if you're a big DFS player, it's important to note, you know, games for dependence. So, okay, you're playing, let's say Travis Etienne's more of a scat back this year. He's kind of Alvin Kamara light. You want him in games the team is trailing. Uh, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, you you really want to play him in games that the team's likely to win, ideally in a, a blowout. So just just talking about all these things, which which I think are important, but uh Plenty of actionable uh, fantasy information in there as well, and after that, I'll do my I'll, I'll do a, a redux of uh, some of my biggest pieces from last year, upside wins, championships, things like that. So, 
Cool. Yeah, you've done a lot of work in leaning into that efficiency or into that uh, into that volatility a little bit because uh, eye opening stuff for me. That's for sure. I love all the work you do. So really, I just I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's at Scott Barrett DFB for everybody on Twitter. And like I said, I've put links to a lot of the articles for stuff that we touched on tonight in the description. Our promo code is 21TrueNorth10. Make sure you are checking out the FantasyPoints.com website, subscribing, and keep it glued to us as well at TrueNorthFFB. I'm at TNFFTyrell. Until next time. <laughs>